0: Hello everyone, Bryce Ferguson here. I want to announce that in the following few weeks I'll be launching a Patreon account to help fundraise for this brand new ministry Into the Word. We are not yet a nonprofit ministry, therefore Patreon seems like the most logical first step in the process. I pray that you will pray and consider giving to Into the Word. <music> exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Genesis. Welcome, everyone, to Into the Word. Today, we're going to talk about the life of Abram, or continue talking about the life of Abram and how he encounters God in multiple circumstances. Or better yet, I should say, the Lord comes to Abram. The Lord reaches down from heaven. The Lord is intentional and purposeful and very driven to have a relationship with man, to have a relationship with mankind,
1: to immerse himself to us, with us. The same
0: relationship that we read about with Abram, the same relationship that we read about with Noah, this very intentional, purposeful Relationship God also wants to have with us, and I pray He already does with you. But if you are seeking and you do not know the Lord God of the Bible yet, the Lord God of all things, the one who created, yes, this earth, who created, yes, our sun, our solar system, these planets, the water, the air, space, Everything that lives and moves and breathes, our God created. If you do not know Him yet personally, if you have not surrendered your life to Him yet personally, I welcome you. I invite you
1: to do so. Your life is going to lack meaning until you know the God of the universe. And He reaches
0: down from heaven and He invites us to surrender our rights
1: to ourself,
0: to lay our life down before him, and to find our true life in the identity
1: that God gives to us. Let's pray and then we're gonna open our Bibles to Genesis 15.
0: Wonderful God, loving, loving God, the one who sees and knows all things, the one who created love, the one who planted love in our hearts as humans. The one who made us, who chose to make us. This is so wondrous. You chose to make us humans different from all the rest of your creation in your image and after your likeness.
1: because. He wanted us to be in a relationship with you, to find our
0: meaning and our purpose and our identity in a relationship with you. Oh God, who did not need anyone else, he chose to have a relationship with us. He chose to create us and to send Jesus to die for us so that we might be united with you. In personal relationship oh to know a love like this
1: how wondrous is this mystery how wondrous is this love that you give oh god we pray this in the name of jesus christ the one who died so that we could live our god amen Last week we spoke about
0: Abram returning from the conquest of the battle, if you will. He did not set out for a battle. He did not set out to conquer lands and armies and nations and cities so that he could make a great name for himself. No, he was trusting God. And God is the one who came to Abram and said, I am going to make you into the father of many nations. Your descendants will be so numerous that they cannot be counted. This was
1: God's call to Abram. And when Lot got caught in the middle of a war, Abram righteously
0: went after him to rescue him. And he has this conversation with the king of Salem, the priest king of Salem, Melchizedek. And if you caught it last week, you probably caught that I may have mispronounced his name, Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, if you will. Either way, it's the same name, the priest king of Salem. And that priest king of Salem comes to Abram after the, quote-unquote, victorious battle, if you will. I say, quote-unquote, because he did have the victory, because God gave him the victory, and Melchizedek Melchizedek, I can say it, comes to Abram. What does he do? After Abram's victorious conquest, he gives God
1: the glory. And Abram affirms and gives God the glory. And it is after this that we read Genesis 15, verse 1.
0: After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Sometimes God comes to men and women in visions. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Remember, Abram denied receiving any reward from the king of Sodom who wanted to give him
1: a reward. And God comes to Abram and says, Your reward, your reward shall be very great.
0: But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the error of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my error. See, At this time today, we would say a member of your household wasn't that your descendant, your family member, your son. No, Abram had, remember, 318 men born in his house. He had a very large house, obviously. He had a very large group living with him, i.e. extended relatives, servants, all of this. And this was a... Extended relative, this Eliezer. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down over the carcasses, Abram drove them away. See, we can also, folks, read in this that God gave him the instruction to not only bring the animals, but to cut them in half. This was to be a sacrifice of sorts. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites,
1: the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The Lord has made his promise to Abram. The Lord reiterates his promise to Abram. The Lord, the faithful one,
0: is reaffirming to a doubting Abram. Or you could say perhaps it was not full doubt. It was curiosity in the
1: waiting. It was questioning in the waiting. And the Lord, steady and firm, reaffirms to Abram the promise. What has the Lord said to Abram thus far? Let's look at
0: this. I say that he's reaffirming to Abram because he's already said he will do these things. He adds to it here in chapter 15 in terms of specifics, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But he has already made these promises to Abram. Let's look back at the initial call in Genesis 12, verse 1. This is when he first calls Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed.
1: And Abram's response, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now let's get to specifics in Genesis 12, verse 7 and 8.
0: When Abram was in Shechem, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And his response, so Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He worshipped. Him is what that means. And then affirmation, even before we get to Genesis 15. This is from Genesis 13, starting in verse 14. When Abram was in Canaan, the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And Abram's response. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at
1: Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And then we read from today's passage. God says, fear not, Abram,
0: verse one, for I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. And then Abram goes on to talk about how he does not have an offspring. And the Lord has said that he will have an offspring, but he does not have an offspring. God reiterates, your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside in verse five and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them.
1: (laughs) God is so wonderful. And God is so. hmm. I'd say he has a a wonderful and such a cordial and such a loving and such a, a
0: driven personality but I don't know that we can even use the word personality with
1: God. But think about it. God says, look toward heaven. First of all, he brings him outside, so he must have been in his tent. He brings him outside. He says, look toward heaven, look up, look at the stars. Number the stars.
0: Have you ever tried to number the stars? on a really dark night, or when you're far outside the city, and you can actually see a lot of the stars. First of all, how, how is my question, how are you able to keep track? Okay, so even if you count in rows, or you count in columns, and then go to the next column and start counting down again, or start counting up, how do you keep it straight? Plus, there's not an exact horizontal line when you're looking over your head. There's not an exact vertical line when you're looking to the left or to the right.
1: And God says, look, number the stars. If you are able to number them. Hmm. You can see that is." laughter. You could see it as as, as like a comedy, like
0: um, God is kind of poking fun with him. You could look at it as God is saying, you cannot. I've created so many stars and so many stars outside the distance that the human eye can even
1: see in space. And we think about the the measurement of a light year.
0: We think about the great distance and the time involved with the distance that light travels so that the human eye can see it. And you may have heard that there are stars which had burned out years ago. Or I'm not a scientist, full disclosure. I've never studied astronomy. There are stars that have burned out quite a while ago that we still see with our eyes in the night sky,
1: but because of the way that it travels over time, that's just a marvel and a mystery. But what we do know with God,
0: besides Bryce's little tangent there with science and maybe my... Friends who study astronomy will uh, correct me on that. There are great aspects of God's creation that are mystery. That are mysterious to us because we cannot even conceive of the vastness and the greatness of the creation of the God of all things. And there are hundreds and thousands and millions and more stars that we cannot even see with our human eyes
1: looking up at the night sky. And God says in this truth, look at the stars. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be.
0: In Abram's response,
1: he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. Let's look at verse seven. God connects and affirms to Abram that he is the same God. Abram knows him,
0: but he's saying that I am the same God who called you at the beginning of chapter 12,
1: verse 1. God's also saying that he brought him out from Ur of the Chaldeans.
0: He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this
1: land to possess. So why did he bring him out? For a very specific reason.
0: God called him out. We talk about how God called him out. God calls us out from the world because God has something so great for us. It's not that God calls us out so that we can be doing nothing. It's not for the purpose of, hey, I'm going to call you out from all these things, from the way that you were living, from the lifestyle that you were living, from the pagan practices that you were doing. From that which you valued and which you talked about and what you did with your hands and what you thought with your mind and what you walked with your legs to do. The tasks that were priorities in your life before. I'm calling you out from that for just, you know, no reason. Or to live a life of mediocrity or to live a life just on the level. No. No the dynamic and purpose-driven God of the universe calls us out for a reason. And it's a very powerful reason. It's a very dynamic reason. God wants us to worship him. It's not so much a mystery of what does God, what plan does God have for my life that I need to be walking on eggshells to determine that or that until God tells me what the individualized plan is for my life, I'm not able to move forward or to walk forward or to make decisions in my life. Growing up in the church, I think there was a bit of a pervasiveness in that, at least in the youth culture, perhaps more with some of us than others. But I learned as I continued to read God's word And I'm thankful that I was a part of Bible-believing churches, Bible-preaching churches, that God calls us out from the world so that we will worship him. So whether I'm in this job or whether I'm in that job, whether I work for this employer, whether I work for that employer, whether I live in this state or whether I live in that country, Wherever I am, I am to be about the worship and the glorification of our God. And in worshiping God and in a personal relationship with God, humbling myself, repenting of my sin, trusting in God, and then Matthew 28, preaching his name. I am glorifying God wherever I'm at, whatever timeline of my life I'm in. And yes, sometimes God calls us specifically from things
1: and, or, or both, to things. I am the Lord
0: who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abram still questions. Even when God says, remember, I brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land and to possess it. These are the promises I have made to you. And I'm actively carrying these out
1: now. Do things always happen in our preferred timing as Christians? No. Why? Because a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like
0: a day. What does that say God is outside of time? and God is moving and he's living and he's active and he's dynamic and every single day on earth matters. But God doesn't run everything a stopwatch or a watch on a wrist or a calendar with the days on our wall as we check off each day. God's timing is God's timing.
1: We are to be faithful to him in a covenantal relationship. We
0: are to be faithful in a personal relationship with God. It's like a marriage, folks. You know it is. And I'm telling you that it is.
1: It's very, very close. It's very, very personal.
0: It's not personal like, yeah, I've got a friend. Yeah, I talk to him once in a while. Yeah, we hang out once in a while. You know, whenever we're in the
1: same town or, or whenever we can work it out with our work schedules, you know, we talk. No. No. I'm talking about a marriage, but it's even closer than that. This is the God of all things.
0: This is the creator God of all things. This is the savior God of all humans made in the image and after the likeness of God who repent from their sins and trust in him.
1: He is their savior. He came to be the savior for all mankind, but some repent, and others don't. So the actualized Savior,
0: the one that he will save after their death on earth or at the end of time, are the ones who have repented of their sin,
1: trusted in him, and what is that really that's chose to love him? God loves us so enormously, we cannot
0: even comprehend. It's like looking up at the night sky and trying to count the stars. We cannot comprehend it right now with our finite minds, the incredible, passionate, dynamic,
1: living and active love of God for you. And for you. And for you. Take that what you will. Each one of us, but also repetitive to you who's listening. Each of you who's listening. And for me, God loves me more
0: than I can understand with my mind. And that should do something in the
1: human heart. That should have a reaction in the human heart. That are incredible, awesome
0: wondrous, mysterious, powerful.
1: God loves us more than we can even define. And that should change everything. And God asked Abram, bring me animals. Specific animals. God sets it, and I'm quite sure that God said, cut them and lay them out. And it's in this, and it's in Abram still questioning before God tells him to bring the animals,
0: but I think it's perhaps from displeasure of Abram's impatience with this. Or perhaps it was simply... That God just wanted to make it very clear to to Abram
1: that God now does a few things. One, he asks Abram to bring him these animals. Two, he most likely caused the deep sleep to come upon Abram in verse 12.
0: We read in verse 12 as a son was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold,
1: dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. There's a little bit of mystery in that. Number four, I'm sorry, which is number three, the dreadful
0: and great darkness. Number four, God speaks a far thrown, as I describe it, future prophecy about Abram's descendants. God gives this prophetic revelation to Abram, not just, hey, this is going to happen tomorrow or this is going to happen next year. No, he says, remember when I said that they will be your descendants, that you cannot count the number of descendants in your offspring and the line, the family line that will come from you in faith
1: of me. Well, they're going to go into captivity 400 years, and then
0: I will deliver them out. He gives this prophecy to
1: Abram, and then God miraculously appears to Abram, passing between the animal sacrifices in the imagery of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And lastly, number six, God makes a covenant with Abram. So there's a foreshadowing of animal
0: sacrifices to God, and those who know their Old Testament and have read through the Old Testament through the Torah, you will know animal sacrifices
1: through, well, through almost every single book of, of the old uh, of the Torah.
0: That we have it with the Tent of Meeting, we have it with the Tabernacle, and then we have it in. The temple. Let's look back at the blood sacrifice, which is required as part of the covenant with Adam. This was described in Genesis 3.21. This was after the fall. This was after the sin of Adam and Eve when they chose to partake of the fruit
1: of the tree, which God told them, it is forbidden. And still out of compassion, God
0: Kills an animal and then uses the skins from that animal to clothe Adam and Eve, where previously they had sown for themselves fig leaves, leaves of a plant or tree. To clothe themselves, God sacrifices an animal because for sin there must be a blood sacrifice. Then, out of compassion, God clothes. His children that now know that they are naked, where previously they did not know that they were naked because there had not been sin. And then there was sin. How about the animal sacrifice with Noah? Let's read this in Genesis 8. And this is after he comes out of the flood. God makes a covenant with Noah. This is in chapter 8, verses 20 and following, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night,
1: shall not cease. There's also a sign of a covenant, or even in some pagan practices, king and king would make an agreement, or ruler and ruler would make an agreement. And they would take a large animal and
0: they would cut it, divide it in two, right down the center, and they would split it on the left and on the right. And then both people making the covenant would walk through the space between the cut animal pieces. Essentially saying, if I break the covenant, then let this be done
1: to me. Think about this in our modern day context. We've spoken about this before a little bit about covenant. About if you say something to another individual, i.e.,
0: your word, what is your word worth? Is it, I will be at this meeting whenever the meeting is, whatever the meeting is for, and perhaps it's for something very, very important, and you say that. And then you either show up or you don't show up. So what is your word worth? Or perhaps you say the word I promise to someone, to a family member, to a friend, to a colleague. Does that elevate from what was previously just your word? And then what about a contract? So you have a contract with another individual or you have a contract with a business partnership Or you have a contract with someone in the public arena. That's not specifically something perhaps about business. What is that worth? Is that worth more than a promise? Is that worth more than your word? I'm thinking about this in levels here.
1: That may or may not be true. Let's talk about a covenant. God makes covenants with man. We talked about that first with Adam, and then we talked
0: about that with Noah, Genesis chapter 8, and now we see in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with
1: Abram, and he will soon give him a new name, and Abram's name will become Abraham, the father of many nations. Covenant is close. Covenant is very important. It's kind of like the personal
0: relationship that God wants to have with man. The personal relationship that man has with God after he repents of his sin and trusts in him.
1: It is with God a covenantal relationship. Now, whether that means more
0: than your word or your promise or a contract, and I would say that it does, but if you believe that your word, when you give your word, then that is a promise. And if you look at your promises or your word as also binding like a contract, and you also look at it with the close personal nature of what it means to be in a marriage relationship with someone,
1: if you do not take marriage lightly, like, sadly, I say, a good chunk of the world.
0: Sadly, I say that some in the Bible who believed that you could divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever, they didn't really want to give their life for their wife. They didn't really want to make a, let's take this present day, that those who don't view marriage like God views marriage, they don't really want to tell death do us part. Those who've been married over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again, and there have been people married that many times, and I'm not saying if that's
1: you, that there's not still the beautiful compassion of God, To change your mind. But what I'm saying is, God's covenant is very similar to,
0: in a number of respects, but even more intense than a marriage covenant. And marriage in God's eyes is a covenant. And God takes this all very seriously. And
1: God wants to have this covenant relationship with us. So getting back to the symbolism here of a split sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, and there's this on the left and there's this on the right, what happens here in Genesis 15? So the symbolism of a large animal, think of a,
0: a cow or livestock. You split it, and here it is on the left. You have two, two feet of dirt in between, and here it is on the right. The sign of the covenant would be that both people making this covenant as confirmation of it would walk through the space in between
1: saying, if I break this covenant, then let this be done to me. I let me be killed and split in half. But Abram does not walk through. What happens? Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark,
0: behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. That is the Lord, folks. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land. Then he continues to articulate the exact
1: areas of the land, of the inheritance, of what God is giving. God is the one who moves through the cut
0: pieces and makes the covenant with Abram, and he is the one who seals the covenant the god is going to carry it out and it will be held it will be sustained it will be
1: fulfilled because god keeps his covenant and god makes this
0: covenant with abram and god fulfills it and god
1: confirms it and god gives the sign The smoking pot, the flaming torch, such a mysterious passage of scripture, such vivid imagery, dynamic imagery. Where else do we see this? Why do I say this is the Lord? Because the Lord manifests himself in scripture with fire and smoke. Think about the flaming
0: torch guarding the way to the tree of life after God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, verse 24. Let's look ahead from Genesis to Exodus. At Exodus 3, starting at verse 2, God encounters, or Moses encounters God, you could look at it that way, at the burning bush, that the bush is burning being burned, actively burned, but not consumed. And God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. I am who I am. Think about when he led the people out of Egypt in Exodus 13, verse 21. How did he do it? How did he guide them? How did he lead them with a
1: pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night? And then in Exodus 19, verse 18, that
0: smoke and fire consume the mountain at Mount Sinai.
1: God represents himself to his people with smoke and with fire. These are elements. And God is the creator
0: of all things, and he represents himself in elements
1: and they passed through, whether that was the Holy Spirit or whichever member of the Trinity that symbolized their confirmation of the covenant, I believe it was the Holy Spirit. This dreadful and great darkness that fell upon Abram before this. I always think of Dreadful and great darkness is fear. Was it that Abram feared? Was it that there was fear or there was
0: imprisonment to come for the Hebrew people when they would be soon in a few generations taken away in bondage to the Egyptians? Well, they weren't... They went because of the famine, and we'll get to that later, to Egypt to survive the famine under Joshua. But then they became slaves in Egypt for a very, very, very long time. And perhaps Abram was granted, well, obviously soon here in a few verses, he was told by God that this would happen.
1: And perhaps he had distress in his heart. But God encourages Abram. God
0: affirms to Abram. He says, I am the creator God of all things. I know all things. This is what is going to happen.
1: And for the one who is hesitant to still believe that God was going to give him a son, God says, here's a prophecy
0: way out past 400 years in the future that I am telling you will happen. And he had just told him, I will give you a son. No, it's not going to be this other guy who's living in your house
1: and is a distant relative. No. I've told you, you will have descendants, i.e., children, i.e., a son. And he affirms to him here in
0: Genesis chapter 15, you will have a son. It
1: will be your son. And your people, past your life, you will live in peace, but
0: past your life, and when you come home to heaven, the people that I have promised to come from you, the number of descendants that are so vast, it is like counting the dust that are so vast. It is like looking up in the night sky and all of the stars that you cannot
1: count. That number of descendants. Are going to go into slavery. It was judgment against them. For unbelief. And because I'm a God of covenant,
0: because I'm a God who loves my people extravagantly,
1: I'm not going to leave them there. They will be judged for a time. And then I'm bringing them out. And then I'm calling them out from slavery. And I'm going to give them this land. This land, this land that I've repeated to you over and over again, this land in Canaan, This land, and what will become Israel, this land, I will give to you and to them forever. One last thought here. As we've talked about how God is going to
0: give the Hebrews, Become the Israelites, the promised land, the land of the promise, the land of Canaan, the land
1: of Israel. What does it mean that he gives it to them? Let's look
0: at just for one example the last few verses here. He said, To your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites. One the Kenizzites, two, the Kadmonites, three, the Hittites, four, the Perizzites, five, the Rephaim, six, the Amorites, seven, the Canaanites, eight, the Girgashites, nine, and the Jebusites, ten. That's ten people groups The God is going to drive out.
1: Or you could say it another way, God is going to take the land away from those people. What does this tell me? This tells me God is in control.
0: God is in control of all cities. God is in control of all nations. God is in control. And it also tells me these 10 people groups did not worship the Lord God. I think one of the greatest illusions of mankind is that you can be in control And you can live your life and you can be successful and you can develop whatever you want, Tower of Babel, outside of God. And you can live your life good enough to where you can pursue that which what you want to pursue. And have a happy enough life outside of God. Without getting to the limits of where God is you know, really angry with you or, or to where you don't push God away enough to where or push him enough, you're pagan. So you're not, you're not pushing him enough to where you're going to anger him to where he's going to smite you. But if you just live your life, quote unquote, good enough, but you still pursue everything that's sinful and selfish and rebellious,
1: that you can get by. And God doesn't look at it like that whatsoever. God looks at it a little bit more like this:
0: "If you repent of your sin and trust to me, i.e, if you give your whole life to me, then you will live under my grace and under my favor. You're going to know life and life abundantly, like John 10:10. 10, 10. Why Christ came to give his life for us, it's so that we could have life and have it abundantly. But for those who pursue life on their own outside of God or specifically against God, those are kind of one and the same. God is going to take that from you, which you have, and give it to someone else. And that's how he delivered the promised land to his people. And it cost these other nations their lands. And a lot of them, their lives. Because they died in battle and their land was promised to those who worshiped God. Because God is faithful in covenant and because God brings favor to his people. Why? Not because of the people, because God is good. What a wonderful and great God we read about here in Genesis 15. What a great God that we love. And we worship and we serve. Let's pray. The God of history past, the God of history present, and the God who knows all things, the one who has full knowledge, the one who knows the future. You are fully in control. You're in control of all nations, you're in control of all leaders, you're in control over and above full authority, over and above anything that we could read about or hear about in the news or in our culture or in our societies or in our towns or our cities. There is nothing outside of your knowledge, God. There's nothing outside of your sight. There's nothing outside of your hearing. You hear all things. You see all things, you know all things, including our mind and our heart and our motivations. Oh Lord, let us not be people of the world. Let our minds and our hearts and our motivations be focused on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the creator and loving God of all things who wants to have a relationship with us. God, let that be our desire as well. We pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 15.